Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It is born in the fury of the most violent storms on Earth. It has traveled thousands of miles, building in strength and size. And here, in a remote corner of the planet, some men will not run from its fury. They will ride it. You're not ready for it. I'm ready. So when the wave breaks here, don't be there. Or you're gonna get drilled. He's a modern savage. If I say it's safe to surf this beach, Captain, it's safe to surf this beach! What's he searching for? The ride. The ultimate ride. What's up? The only thing surfers have in common with the rest of America is they're unemployed and love crystal meth. Today, we're, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Sean Murphy from Waterways Travel. Um, I've known Sean since we were, gosh, probably in junior high school. And, um, and I've probably had some of the best waves of my life based on the, the trips he's put me on. I'm sure there's many surfers out there that claim the best wave they've ever caught was probably based on, on what Sean was able to provide them. So, yeah, thanks for coming on, Sean. Yeah, my pleasure. I was, I was just going to say, um, that's actually the most rewarding part of my job is that I get that call almost daily from somebody returning from a trip and calls me up and gives me a play-by-play on the very best waves I've ever had of their life. And at one point, I want to say, look, I'm really busy right now. But the other hand, hand I just love hearing it so much that it makes my day. Dude, it never gets old. Do you ever get tips though with somebody like sends their next a thousand bucks or something because they got the best ways of their life? <laughs> no, we've got a few bottles of wine here and there and things like that. Never a thousand bucks. Yeah. <laughs> a couple, couple <laughs> gift cards. There you go. That's not bad. Yeah, that's a pretty cool thing. But I guess on the other side of that is you have to be really tuned in on what the surf's doing too because people are going and you guys are sending out reports and obviously finding people like Surfline and them because it can be, you know, Predicting surf is probably one of the hardest things to do in the world. It's, you know, definitely not an exact science. And um, as we all know, those forecasts seem to get downgraded. In those couple of days leading up to the big forecasted swell always gets downgraded. And I give that information to people all the time. Like they'll call me up 10 days out, you know, and say, oh, I'm going here. Can you look at the forecast and let me know what I'm looking at? And I always start off with, if the, if the forecast was to remain exactly it is, as it is today, this is what you should expect. But the likelihood of that happening is very small. So why don't you call me back like two days before you're supposed to go and we'll have the conversation again. So Sean, how, so what was the sort of origin of, of waterways? What was, t- take me through the, the very beginning. What was, and I, I don't even know if I, if I even know this story, but I, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, your family's in travel. In, in Correct. I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the short story, at least. Hmm. Um, my educational background is in accounting and finance. And I thought I always wanted to be an accountant because I've always liked math because there's a, a right and wrong answer. I didn't want to go uh, get educated on something that was uh, applicable theory. Maybe um, I did like economics, but all these theory, political science, all these other theory-based um, uh, majors, I was worried about going to college and being able to apply it when I got out. So I wanted to be an accountant. You know, math problems was always my, my specialty. So I did that, um, got out, went to work at a CPA firm, um, did my couple of years, took the test, was getting into the grind, wearing a suit and tie, going to the uh, the office every day, and fairly quickly realized that I hated what I was doing. 
and I was super distraught and didn't know what to do. And I quit my job and I floundered around working for small accounting firms here and there for a little while. And then I went to work for my dad who had um, a very large tour company called Brendan Tours was a company he started uh, back in the late 60s, early late 60s, I think it was. And um, I went into the accounting department there and was getting groomed up to kind of take over as a CFO. And they had, you know, there was a accounting department of, I think it was about 10 people and they were doing somewhere upwards of 50 million a year. So it was a pretty decent sized company. Uh, my brother was vice president at the time and it became again clear that if everything went the way it was going to, I would one day be working for my brother and my older brother who I love dearly, but um, did not want that to strain our relationship. And as much as I kind of enjoyed being part of the family business, I was still very much nine to five looking forward to my time off. And I was taking advantage of some travel perks at that point through that industry of traveling all over the world and surfing. And this would have been in the um, early, early 90s. And, um, you know, I was going to places like Tonga and even Samoa and El Salvador and Nicaragua and all these places back then when it was pretty much off the beaten track back then. And, uh, you know, I was getting groomed up working for my dad. And uh, one day I was at lunch with my sister who, who asked me straight out, Sean, what do you want to be doing with your life? You know, 10 years from now, why do you want to be doing? If you could do anything you could be doing, what would you be doing? Because I had purchased my first home, but I didn't have a serious relationship or anything like that. I wasn't really tied down. And I said, you know, if I could do anything I'd want, I'd travel all over and surf. But I'm not nearly a good enough surfer to be able to do that. And I'm probably too old at this point anyways. And she was the one that suggested to me that I start a surf travel company and talk to dad about using some of the connections he had with the airlines, which back then were critically important, much more so than they are now, because this was pre-internet. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't just go online and buy an airline ticket. Uh, so I put together a pretty nice business plan and presented it to my dad. And my dad, who said surfers don't have any money and they're never going to be able to uh, afford to go anywhere, said, and I'll quote him. I said, he said, I'll lend you, I, I'll lend you the 20000 you're asking for to get started. But when it fails, you will come back and work for me and stop complaining about having to work all the time. I said, okay, I'll take it. So I took a 20 grand from my dad, a 10 by 10 office space, and I had him paid back in nine months. Wow. And never looked back. Incredible. And who was your, can you remember the first package you sold to where and what it was? Um, the first stuff we started doing was Costa Rica, kind of fly drive programs in Costa Rica. But I was very fortunate uh, in my early days to start getting into the South Pacific. So but my, my real core original product was Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, and the Maldives. And my relationships that really paid off and got us to where we are today is I got to give a big thanks to um, Dave Clark and John Roseman at Tavarua because they I started handling their business very early, which gave me inroads to an affluent clientele. So that was really, you know, affluent clientele who traveled a lot you know those were the guys back then and um i also uh, i was always enamored by the maldives and i was trying to sell that as a package but there was this guy down there you probably heard of him tony hussein 
who really wasn't interested in doing business with some guy from the United States he didn't know. Super nice guy, but just like we work with Australians. I have a relationship with somebody in Australia I work with. So thanks, but no thanks. So I got on a plane and flew down there. <laughs> I just went down and met him and talked to him and started hanging out. We hung out for a couple of weeks. And at the end of that trip, I came back with one of my most valuable relationships, which still stands today with his children because he has passed, that was um, just made on a handshake. That's been a great relationship for us. So how do you go about opening up you know, new locations? Is it just you going, that looks interesting, let me go check it out? Or do you have like a team? The world's become such a small place with the internet. Yeah. Uh, but back in the day, that's exactly how it how it started. I would get on a plane, I'd go down, I'd find someplace that I thought looked interesting and I'd get um, nautical charts and I'd fly down. I'd just start looking around and try to meet people and tell them I'm going to go back to the United States and I want to start selling a package with you, with you and this is what I'm going to expect. If it doesn't work, um, I, we're going to stop doing business. And it really, if it doesn't work for either side, really, it's not just what I'm expecting of you, but if what you're anticipating from us doesn't work, we'll, we'll part ways. Mm -hmm. And um, now that Waterways has become really such a known entity and a brand, we get people reaching out to us almost daily, you know, saying, I have this product, I have that product, we, we'd like to get on board with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we turn away 99% of it. And then some of it we put some thought into and see if we want to move forward with it. And what are those kind of brand guidelines for Waterways when it comes to partnering with a new resort or a destination? Well, generally, some of the most important ones are, you know, your basic service and cleanliness needs that they're going to be able to facilitate, you know, a clean bed and a, a nice shower and good food. But some of the big ones are going to be um, communications. We need communications from every place we work with, you know, 24 hours is the outside that we'll ex kind of expect to have a return to and now an email. Back then it was a fax or a phone call. But, you know, now if we don't get a response within 24 hours from somebody, we just can't really work, for, work with them. Uh, the other big one is uh, safety, you know, that they're going to have, you know, all the safety uh, up to date with running their boats, backup systems, redundant, redundant engines, flares, life jackets, people running their boats who are trained, um, you know, medic first aid procedures in place. You know, before an accident happens, not after. So that's that's a big one. And really, I'd say the very biggest one and the, the one we have dropped more people uh, we've worked with than any other is that what I can't have happen is I send uh, you, Damon, or Chad down to, you know, Nicaragua or something like that. And you're having a great time sitting at a table with a bunch of other people, some of which might not have booked through Waterways. And you find out that they got it cheaper. You know, if I ever find out that somebody's ch selling something cheaper than we can sell it, we well, can't do business because I can't have you go down on an inexpensive trip to El Salvador and find out that some guy that just walked down the driveway got it for half price, you know, because then when you want to go on that trip to the Maldives, you're going to think, God, I, I would have done better if I didn't go through waterways before, so I'm not going to use them this time. So that's right. really the one that is a hard and fast rule. And has, and has that been difficult trying to keep up with the internet? Because essentially the internet has undercut so much, you know, so much of the travel business. Basically, yeah, it, it, it has, but not so much because I've got really solid relationships or Waterways has very solid relationships with everyone that we do business with. If they're going to offer a special, 
we're happy to offer that same special. And usually if they're offering a special, it's because they have extra space they need to fill their light on occupancy or something. So I say, look, if you're, you're cutting your rates to get somebody in there on those dates, let me know as long as we can offer that same thing, I'll cut my margin that we take too. I'll cut it down to just, you know, whatever it takes to pay us to, to handle the reservation. We don't necessarily need to make money on it, but if you're offering a 20% discount, you know, maybe we'll take a 50% discount on our cut. So they, they appreciate that relationship with us. And, you know, the other one, another one is that, and we're very successful at this one as well. If we book you down to someplace like Macaroni's Resort, and then you want to go again next year, a lot of times, because we don't have an exclusive with Macaroni's, you might call them up directly and go, hey, I want to come back down. And they'll, they have a system in place, so they'll know that we booked you the first time. They said, you know what, we really appreciate you want to come back down. Um, we see water, you came down through waterways the first time. We'd like it if you go back through them again, unless for any reason you had a problem with them. And I make that clear to the people we work with. Look, if somebody for some reason doesn't want to work with us, I wouldn't expect you to send them our way. We don't want you to force somebody to come back to us if for some reason they had a problem. Luckily, that's extremely rare. And people are like, oh, yeah, no, we're fine. We're, we're, we're happy to. I mean, I've experienced even, and I guess, you know, it's one thing when you have, um, a personal relationship with somebody. So I can call Sean and go, Hey, Sean, it's like Norman and I had this experience or whatever, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. or whatever that a lot of times it's, um, but I, I, I do know talking to other people that, that when they've had a problem or they've had a hiccup with, with waterways that they, that, 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 that hiccup or that problem is dealt with, but like over, over delivering, right? You guys have always over yeah. delivered. And always and we, we, from the very people. beginning, we've really made a point of that. There's yep. very few people, you know, we do about, oh yeah, 4,000 people a year, 4,400 4, people a year. So that's a lot of people at any given time. We've got people traveling around the globe, except for right now. Yeah, um, so you do enough people, you're going to have people that have problems. Sometimes they're our, our fault. Generally, they're not. But regardless of whose fault it is, we always like to make sure we take care of somebody that had a bad experience. And I find in most of those situations, what's most important is quick and open communication. Yep. Yeah. You know, not, don't try to brush it off, delay it, just get right in and, and hear the people out. A lot of times people just want to vent. Absolutely. Isn't that the truth? You know, that, you know one, one thing I learned when I used to work at STAB is when you know you're getting one of those calls, is to call them back, let the phone ring out and call them back. And now you've already flipped the script a little bit. But fast forwarding to what's going on right now, you just brought it up. Like it's not very hard to imagine that no industry has been affected as much as the travel industry has uh, with what's going on in the world. What have been some um, challenges that you've been facing beyond what the expected is and how are you kind of, what are you doing to kind of shift and keep the business afloat and then prepare for the other side of this? Right. Well, um, luckily, we are financially a very stable company. We have we could weather this for another two years if we had to. We've we've got that much cash sitting in the bank. You know, I've never really drawn a lot of money out. I've had a good fat rainy day fund, and now the rainy day is coming in monsoonal magnitude. So we're fine with that aspect of it. But you know, basically, early March or by mid March, our business just stopped. We have nobody going anywhere. We um, luckily are still taking bookings, and surfers are so resilient. 
people just want to travel. And we are actually, the, one of the problems we're having right now is that we, we're just trying to be so straight up with people. People are calling us now to try to book trips to, say, Fiji in August. And, you know, there are flights available. You can book a flight to Fiji in late August or early September. But the likelihood of being able to travel is pretty much zero. Mm-hmm. You know, So we don't want to go through that process and take the person's money or any bookings we are taking right now under this, uh, you know, COVID umbrella are basically if that trip can't operate, all funds are, all money are fully refundable, you know, which is different than when it's really went down originally, pretty much everybody was being given credits for future travel and so forth. But just to kind of encourage people to travel and to make those bookings right now, any bookings we take, if you can't travel or it's not even if you can't, if you are uncomfortable traveling because of whatever warnings might be out there or social distancing measures that are still in place, you can get a full refund. So it's, it's more than just a, I can't travel. It's because it's, a lot of people, even when things open up, they're not going to want to travel. They're not going to feel comfortable yet. So if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to go. Well, I've been talking to Caesar like weekly because I've been dying to get down there, right? Like, It'd be like the early 2000s again, which yeah. <laughs> it was just zero people down there. So I spoke to him today, beaches are open. It sounds like uh, it'll be sometime next week because some of the beaches are open, but some of the little towns are still not letting people come through. Yeah, that's what he was telling me. So he said July 1 is meant to be the opening date. Um, I'm hoping there's people that are deterred and there's an early, there's a good enough swell that we can get down there before it gets too crazy. But. Well, there's going to be. Um, it's, there's going to be definitely a window right there off the bat when it's going to be really uncrowded. And I wish I could go down there too, but I mean, I personally, and this is why I have so much empathy for people and appreciation for people who are, are actually booking right now. I, w- I wouldn't travel personally myself today. You know, I know there's a lot of people who would or in a different scenario, but I've got two small children and a wife. And I think for anybody who has small children, even if there's the smallest possibility that something could happen that's going to make them, you know, seriously ill. It's not worth it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, our users are probably, I mean, our listeners are probably sick of hearing me say this, but yeah, I've got a pregnant wife too. So it's, oh yeah, okay. yeah, because if, you know, if she wasn't pregnant, I would just be traveling around doing my thing and being a bit irresponsible, right? I'd be wearing right. a mask and taking all the precautions, but I'd be using this opportunity as a time to surf because there's not much business happening in the world. Right. So. Yeah. And the same with Indonesia. I mean, Indonesia is going to be opening up pretty soon, I think. And But they're not going to be letting Brazilians in because of the number of uh, cases in, in Brazil. Australians aren't allowed to travel. And Americans who travel are going to have to go through some, jump some pretty big hurdles to get down there. So it's going to be empty. I would go down there and I actually have a connection that could get me through the red tape to get down to Indonesia now. He's like, you should come on down. There's nobody here. I can get you in. I'm like, oh, you're killing me. I just, I just can't. <laughs> but you know, you know, it'll quickly make you feel better about not going. Is imagine having coronavirus in Indonesia. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's I mean, I have a resort down there myself that we closed down in March and we just reopened, and Which we one? reopened to take bookings from people within Indonesia. And I think we've got four people there right now, and there's nobody around, and they're just loving it. Oh man, it's going to be like that for a while. And, and talking about you, what is your feeling for travel and when you think it's going to open up and, and really be safe again? When would you feel comfortable to travel again? Gosh, it's, it's a, a moving target, that one. But, um, you know, there's places already starting to open up. Um, the Maldives just opened up and came out of the blue. I know there was all this talk about them maybe not even opening up until next year. And then all of a sudden the Minister of Tourism comes out and says, we're open. 
um, starting July 15th. So they're not open yet, but they are, they are opening. But the problem is you can't get there from anywhere. So it's going to be this kind of juggling act as to when and where opens up and how you're able to get there. And if they're going to let you in from the United States and what kind of quarantine you're going to have. And if you're going to have to quarantine when you come back, you know, because, you know, if, if states like Hawaii are making U.S. citizens quarantine when they come in, how do you think other countries around the world feel? They don't want us coming down there. Well, but, you know, El Salvador is opening up. Um, Nicaragua is opening up. Mexico is opening up. Those, I think, will be the first. And I think those will be, all be open by mid-July. Um, I think other places that are big for us, like Fiji, honestly, I'm hoping they're going to be open up by mid to September to late October. But I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they're closed until late in the year or even early next year. What do you so for you know rolling that over to our passion kind of why we'll do this and why we watch the WSL right like you just for us we can't see anybody traveling for there being a tour at all kind of April May next year what do you right. think they you know yeah I don't think there'll be there's going to be any tour until maybe sometime mid next year or maybe not until actually the following season they might take another another whole year off because. It, it'd be really difficult for them to require their athletes to travel. Uh, it was back in the day when they used to run the, uh, the G land pro. Remember that event? That was my favorite. I loved it. Mm. Well, when, uh, when it all hit the fan in Indonesia and we were used to uh, operate with that and help organize it. And all of a sudden they're like, well, we're concerned about Indonesia. We're concerned about this. I'm like, look, nobody's having any problems unless they're going to where the demonstrations are happening in Jakarta. They're like, yeah, but when they finally pulled the plug, it came down to, as an organization, we cannot require our athletes to travel there when there are state department warnings. Mm. And I'm sure it's going to be for a lot of places with the, on tour, it's going to be the same thing where the WSL isn't going to be allowed to, able to require athletes to travel there if there's still a, uh, you know, a stage three, um, CDC warning or a stage four um, state department warning They're, you know, they just can't do it. Yeah. And you've got people coming from all corners of the globe. So it's going yeah. to be walking up in different areas at different times and right. winter, as winter comes and it gets cold in different regions. Well, there's the other piece of it now, which is the, the, you know, so the, 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 Euro, the European leg would also be an issue, right? Because now, I mean, not, not for us traveling there, but for, I'm sorry, not for, not for, anybody in the tour traveling there, but the, the, the EU has just basically declared the, the U S a shithole country. So they don't want us there either. So now we've That's become the big one. Still. I mean, even if the U S is allowing people to travel to these various places, it does no good if they're not going to let us in. Yeah. I have an EU passport. I think I'm finally going to get to you. I have, I've had it since I've been a little kid. It was an Irish passport to begin with. And now it's an EU passport. So, uh, who knows? I might be able to go surfing somewhere on it before you do, Damon. Yeah, I finally got my American passport two weeks before the shutdown happened. Not a visa, but now I'm pretty glad I've kept my South African one. And well, South yeah. Africa's fully shut down still, isn't it? Fully shut down. You can surf again, but you cannot fly in from anywhere in the world. They just right. have regional flights, like one or two a day. And right. 
the waves are just, there's just like three runs. It's, the last three weeks have been unbelievable and the next three weeks look even better. Like J-Bay just was firing the last four days. There's another two weeks of it ahead. Yeah, we had to um, knock a bunch of bookings on the head that we had for, um, for Durban up into Mozambique. And the people were super cool. They're like, they wanted to go so badly. They were trying to, they kept trying to push your trip date back by like a week at a time. This is more than a week at a time kind of scenario we're dealing with here. <laughs> we got to start looking at this time next year. And now, you know, with in any kind of, essentially there's a great recession happening and it's especially coming, right? It's, we're going to feel the effects of this thing for the next kind of six to 18 months. Are you looking, there's going to be a lot of resorts that'll be looking to, shut down or going to be really struggling. Are you looking to make any gains here? Is any opportunities popping up or possible investments for you to? I actually haven't reached out to any, but there's been a couple I've looked, I've been looking at, you know, there's some of the yacht charters having a real hard time that aren't, that aren't coming back. Um, People that have brick and mortar investments, I think are a little bit more um, prone to really doing what it takes to ride it out. So uh, that there are some opportunities and I don't know if you uh, follow them at all. There's a company, I'll give them a plug here, International Surf Properties. You know those guys? I follow them, yeah. Yeah, well, I tell you, they have a lot of product that has been coming up. You know, I've been seeing a lot of stuff that they've had for sale now, especially in South Central America for people who have started up the surf yoga lifestyle retreat that, you know, a year of no business for those guys, it's hard to keep the doors open. So there's definitely some opportunities for anybody who wants to get in on the, on the ground level or something like that. Something, no, I've got my hands full right now. I mean, you asked me what's going on with the waterways earlier. I don't really think I fully answered the question because really what we're dealing with is on a day-to-day basis. We haven't laid everybody, anybody off. We're still fully staffed and we're actually busy because we take bookings so far in advance that we've had people all this time booked, ready to travel, pre-booked that we are now having to cancel and try to reschedule or deal with them as far as, is there a, a, a credit or a refund available to them? Do they still want to travel? Even if they do want to travel, are they going to be able to travel? Are they still, are they hit so hard financially, they're not going to be able to travel or they, they want to go as soon as possible. So we're juggling all these people that were booked who can't go to try to, again, keep clear, and frequent communication with all these people to try to get them to go whenever they can go. So we're actually doing at least twice, maybe three times the amount of work for no extra money right now, just to try to keep people, you know, moving forward and keep the the pump pump primed for when things do open back up that everyone will start to get going again. That's awesome, man. That's really commendable that you managed to keep all the staff on and, and set up your business to be like that. That's it's amazing. Yeah, you and that? you know what's really nice about that? And there's some of my staff have come out to me and said and said exactly that. Sean, I appreciate this so much that you're keeping me on because I know you probably don't have to. And you know that's been a a rewarding part of going through this process. Did you did you get involved with any of the P, PPP? I got a small um, uh, PPP loan. That when it was all going down and figured out, hell, I might as well go out there and try to get it too if it's going to be free money. Yeah. So we got a little bit of it and we definitely put it to use. We didn't lay anybody off. And, you know, unless anything changes drastically, uh, I don't think we're going to. That's awesome. Yeah. One of the things we might insane. do, and it is in relation to the PPP loan a little bit because it applies to salaries and rent. Uh, I think you've probably heard this before and it's definitely true to us. 
We've bantered around the idea of having work from home options and scenarios in the past. And I've always just shot it down and said, no, I like going to work. I like going into my office. I like having my team there so I can lean back and yell across my door at somebody and ask them what's going on here. Who are you talking to? What's going on there? And really keeping that kind of vibrant team Mm -hmm. spirit going in the office. And, you know, we go out for beers and stuff after work. And I like my my staff are all friends of mine, you know, and we're all close. But this has all forced us to be in a work from home scenario. And it has been working far better than I thought it was going to. Oh, that's good. So, so is that going to make you rethink your, yes. your, your, oh, good. Yeah, it is. And more so not because of uh, the team environment thing. It's just a strictly a bottom line thing. I mean, we probably end up spending you know, we're not high end retail space, but at the end of the day, it probably comes out to about 75,000 bucks a year in rent. That's a chunk. That's a chunk. That's a proper chunk, right? Yeah. You know, if we could cut that down to 35 grand a year to have a little smaller, more storefront space that we rotate staff through, that'd be great. So switching gears a little bit, we, Damien and I were talking a bit about, about, you know, this, the idea of these surf spots and, and then, and sort of being, you know, like how Tavarua made it, made uh, cloud break private for a while before mm -hmm. it went, before there was that sort of rebellion. Um, what's your, where do you come in on that sort of exclusive access piece? And I think you have, you can speak a little bit more. Yeah, I think it's been a pretty hot topic, the privatization of waves, right? I've been to Pasta Point, I've been to a couple of them, I've got to experience them. And, you know, from the outside, I'm like, every wave should be open to the, to everybody. And then I go there, I'm like, this is amazing. There's four of us out in the waves are bumping. But <laughs> I'm sure you've had that. Has it been a bit of a moral dilemma, but here and there and kind of how you guys. Very, very much so. And in the earlier days of waterways, when we were kind of the only ones doing travel to a lot of these remote destinations, for example, El Salvador, we were really one of the first people doing any kind of numbers of travelers into El Salvador. We would never book more than eight people at a time into an area of El Salvador because we didn't want our clients to go down there and go, oh, there's 35 people out here. What's going on? You guys all booked their waterways? This is jacked up. So we kept our numbers really small. But now that there's probably you know, all the direct, all the people, there's probably 50 people selling El Salvador bookings. It doesn't make sense for us to turn back anybody after number eight, you know? So we take whoever we can get. And it's changed the um, the experience at all these locations that the world's become a smaller place. There are more people at every location. Um, like you, I feel if you can get to a spot and surf it, you should be able to do so without anyone giving you a hard time. Um, having said that, I do feel that there are reasons and an argument for places like the Maldives, for example, or Papua New Guinea, um, and there might be one or two others, that as a country, they could say, we have a resource here, and we are concerned about our indigenous population, and we don't want to see the NEOS for lack of better description, surf slums develop where people are coming in and living with local families and changing the, the way they've been living for hundreds of years into what, I don't know who's to say if it's better or worse, but to change it, you mm -hmm. know, dramatically. And for a country to say, we feel that we have a saturation level to offer the type of surfing experience that we would like to offer, 
to manage that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, they do it with um, trekking in Nepal. You know, if you want to go up to Mount Everest, you can't just go. You can't just go there and walk up there. You have well, to get a you have to get a permit. They pulled that one way back because they've it's got so exploited and it's so damaging the region. Right, and there's toilet paper and crap everywhere. You I, know, that's a great point. I like that when you're talking about those kind of third world countries and being able to control it as if it is a natural resource. Did you see a big decline in your audience and numbers when with Fiji when that opened up? Actually. I hate to say it because I have been a long time lover and visitor of Tavarua and I really enjoyed it when they had an exclusive scenario out there, but we were no longer handling Tavarua's business at that point when the, uh, when the decree happened and opened up, but we uh, were handling exclusively all of the Nomoto Islands business. And that really came out of the blue. They, the guys at Tavarua and Namotu found out about that decree by reading about it in the paper in the morning. You know, there was oh, zero advance notice. We found out about it like an hour or two before they did. I was like calling them out, like, did you hear about this? They're like, what? Let me look at the paper. And um, Tavarua got into a situation because they had had so many high-end clientele kind of controlling the weeks, week in and week out that um, a lot of those people were totally frightened away by it. And they said, oh, we're not coming anymore. And that a huge percentage of their uh, clientele just drop out overnight. And that's when, I'll never forget it. I was actually on the way to Indonesia. I was driving to the airport and I got a call from John, Rick and Dave all at once on a, on a conference call on my way to the airport. And I love all those guys, but we didn't talk regularly at that point anymore, other than when I would go down there surfing. And they're like, Sean, you know what's going on? I'm like, yeah, like, well, we want to talk to you about picking up and uh, seeing if you could, you know, take over our reservations and get us, our occupancy back up. And I said, well, I've got, I've got about an hour to get to my flight right now <laughs> taking off, but I'll tell you, the answer is yes, for sure. We got to work out the details. And um, that's how that went. And I went on my trip to Indonesia and Came back, that was in uh, 2010, and uh, came back and ironed out the details on it. We've been handling their business ever since. Has the experience diminished? I'd say no. And to a big degree, I think it has almost gotten better, which is odd. I'd never thought I would say this, but, you know, I go down there still every year. I do two weeks every March, and I have days where I'm out of cloud break when the swell is small and it's howling southeast winds and it's crowded and people are aggressive. I'm like, God, I can't even get away if I get all frustrated. And then I'll have days on that same trip when there's three or four guys out and it's pumping and I feel like I'm living the dream. You know, you just got to pick your times and pick your target and it's still great. And you're the only one you're looking right at restaurants or you cabby rights right on your, on your back door. But most of all, what has really changed. And again, my vision has changed because I am now a father of young children. There's a lot more non-surfers going down there now. And a lot of people bringing um, children of all ages. And as far as an experience for children, especially if you're able to bring them year after year so they get to know the Fijian people and see the turtles hatching and learn how to snorkel and learn how to surf at kitty land and get out there for your first time, get pushed in on a soft top. It's become such a fantastic well-rounded experience down there now that the demand they're having their best years they are having their best years ever 
now. Last year was your best year ever, I believe. That's amazing. Yeah, I went first time last year, and it's the best place I've ever been. I stayed on the mainland and just boated out. I was on the budget trip and yeah. lastminute.com too for a big swell. Uh-huh. And I must have surfed. I surfed one day at probably 2 o'clock. It was 6 to 8 feet, and there was three of us out, and we were standing in barrels for four hours, and both islands were completely full and you know it's got it's got that rotation right everyone says yeah yeah by the time they go home back to the island they have a big lunch they sleep the rest of the day (laughs) until the evening on this last trip i was down there and i was with a friend of mine who's not really a charging surfer by any means he can surf a little bit and we went out fishing and we uh i brought we brought brought boards with us on the boat the two of us went out fishing and on the way back because the swell was super small on the way back and there was some wind issues. We're like, I'm like, let's swing by a cloud break and see what it's like. We pull up there and look at it. There's nobody out. And it's like inconsistent, shoulder high and glassy and peeling with nobody out. I would take that all day long. It was so much fun. I probably got 25 waves just laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Now, you know, you, you still have those experiences. Yeah, I've been looking at land there since this thing's been happening. But, you know, that, that land rule that they made makes it really difficult for anyone. Yeah, you know, if you want to look at land, I don't know if you looked at it all, and it's probably a little bit more expensive, but it's on, um, on um, um, Malolo. Yeah, it's insane, right? So, Sharon, the woman that owns Billabong, in, uh, that used to own Billabong in South Africa mm-hmm. uh, from J-Bay, her and Gordon and all those people they bought, I think where Kelly does too, they all bought the land and they bought these crazy resorts on the other side of Malolo. Right. But here's the thing. And I actually own property in different places around the world that I purchased a long time ago because I had this dream that I was going to have all these houses in different places around the world and just go surf and stay at all my houses in different places around the world. But now, again, that was early days and pre-internet. Now you just go rent a house when you go there. (laughs) It's so much easier. We were yeah. talking about it, Chad and I were talking about it on Friday. The best yacht is somebody else's yacht. If you're going to go somewhere, you might as well just rent. You know. Yeah, and those places that I have as properties now, and I go down there, I have to deal with like tax filings and repairs and this and that. It's a total hassle. Or if you just rent a place and go down there, and chances are you're going maybe once every couple of years. It's so much more enjoyable that way. Absolutely. And then, Sean, where would you say is the next kind of frontier for surf travel? Where are you selling? What are kind of the new destinations that you've got that are getting really popular? Um, Papua New Guinea has been a really big one for us. In the last couple of years, that's been a, a great one. And again, it's because people go down there and get the experience of surfing just by themselves. I did a trip down there last January, and we didn't see another surfer the whole time we were down there. In what kind of way? And what kind of appealing for what kind of surfers? Um, really across the board, all kinds of surfers. It's, it's not known for getting big. You know, they've got a variety of type of surf. It's kind of the stuff everybody wants. Something under 10 foot faces, nice reef waves, nobody around, warm tropical water. So that's a great one. Um, I do believe in coming years, uh, the Solomon Islands is going to become a big destination. Is, and why is that? Because it's getting easier and easier to get to and more development. People are starting to sniff around down there a little bit more and they're realizing what good surf there is down there. And again, that there's right now the surf is difficult, really difficult to access. But as soon as people start putting in um, different options for people to be able to access multiple or individual waves and be able to have that experience with no crowd. And that's always what the leading factor is, you know, like anywhere first guys in are going to be able to say no crowd and they'll be able to you know charge a premium for that 
And then over time, in all likelihood, unless there's any kind of managed surf system, though a carrying capacity will be reached and places won't be able to charge a premium anymore and uh, budget operators will come in and bring pricing down. And that's kind of the cycle of life with, with a lot of surf, surf spots. And um, the, the surf industry is in this like crazy decline as, you know, as the big brands are, but there's more and more surfers than ever, right? As you see your business is exploding, right. growing and growing. What is surf travel? And I, I enter, or we anticipate the numbers are going to keep going that way. It's easy. More and more people are surfing. There's wave pools popping up. What do you anticipate the next kind of five to 10 years of surf travel look like? I don't think things are going to change dramatically from where they are now. I do think the number of surf travelers is going to continue to increase. I mean, surfing has got a very nice, healthy appeal to it now. Very different than it was when we, when I first started, you know, uh, it's now kind of a family vacation that people will take. And like you said, all these surf, surf pools starting up, I think in the next five years, we're going to see a lot of options for surf pool access and surf pool experiences, you know, where it won't just be a day. You'll go out for five days and spend three days surfing, maybe multiple different waves. And they'll have waves that you can get your children in for learning. They'll be using them for, uh, for training institutes. Uh, they'll be using them for guys like me who just want to go and get a wave without a whole bunch of people around. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question, the wave pools. We've kind of got, so this, this screens are, <laughs> we've got three wave pools kind of popping up in Palm Springs right now, right? And Chad yeah. pitched some, some work on Michael Schwab's one. How are you, and his resort, what, he's gonna, what they plan on building out there at Coral Mountain. Yeah. yeah. Have you, are you having these conversations now about, you know, one of those things that we spoke with him about? I, I have been having some conversations with those guys about the, about the ranch and um, to a lesser degree about, about Coral Mountain. Because I find them uh, very interesting. And I think there are opportunities for waterways out there. And I think there might be opportunities um, business-wise for Sean Murphy, maybe separately from waterways. And I think there could be, if nothing else, an experience that Sean Murphy would like because he still has never been out to the surf ranch. Oh, and no way. I still have not been out there. <laughs> I was really, when it first came out, I was totally against the idea and kind of swore I would never go out there. And now I care from everybody how great it is. I'm like, God, I want to get out there. And actually, Michael invited me out last week, last week and I didn't go just because I'm not really ready. I've, we've, my wife and I and my family have been social distancing pretty seriously. And I didn't really know who else was going and what the whole scenario was like. So I declined and um, kind of disappointed I declined. But at the same time, well, there'll be other opportunities. The, the good thing is that one's not going anywhere. It's not a swell that you've missed. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't use that one with my wife, but this is the best swell of the year. And yeah. I'm so tired yeah. of hearing that. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy thought, though, from when you started your business trying to put people on perfect waves, right? The whole idea of surfing is the pursuit to find perfection, right? And that's right. Your, the basis of your business, right? So elusive. And now you can, at the push of a button, you can yeah. have the perfect, well, what? And here's the thing. You could go to Indonesia for two weeks for five grand, you know, have an amazing experience. You might not get any surf. There's yeah. a chance that you don't get any surf. Is it worth your time and money? to go out to a wave pool and know you're going to score epic surf and get your 
be surfed out at the end of the day for that same five grand? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. It de- yeah, it depends on how much time you have. Uh, do you want- I would argue for no. me personally, no. Yeah, me but, either. Yeah. But but yes, because I'll probably do it anyways. Just because I want to do it so, so badly now. But um, from the beginning, I've always felt that I'm selling an experience. I've told guys so many times, look, if you're going to be disappointed and all bummed out, if you go down and you're not going to score a great surf, don't go. Yeah. You know, it's about the experience, about meeting new people, watching the, getting, uh, you know, sitting in the lineup at sunset and taking a deep breath and realizing there's nobody else around and how lucky you are and you smell the, the sweetness in the air. And, you know, and that's what it is. It's about more than just scoring great surf to me. That's, that's why I've been, I've done surf trips and had terrible surf trips. And I'll go back to that same location. I'll be like, I had a great time. And I know it was Mother Nature who just did not smile upon me. And next time might be better. And one of the things that's, that's great, one of the things that Chad and I always talk about and, you know, any advice that we give people starting businesses or whether you're in the service business or, you know, selling clothing, whatever it is, is kind of putting your consumer first, right? And hearing yeah. you speak sounds like you've really done that. Like you told guys, hey, you know, that, it's oh, yeah. kind of like opposite to what running a business is telling people, hey, don't travel. The waves are going to be bad next week. Yeah. 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 We, do, we, we do that all the time. And, you know, and a perfect example, um, from the beginning of the Maldives, we were the first one selling any kind of Maldives from the United States. We wouldn't sell travel there from late October through um, March 1st. We just wouldn't do it. The chances of getting good surf down there that time of year is really slim. And now we've kind of increased our window. And for some places, we will sell year-round down there because you – Definitely can go down and get small, clean surf with nobody around in, in January, but we'll be really upfront with people about what they might expect and what, what, what could easily happen. You know, it would be beautiful. You know, they'll say, oh, I called up so-and-so, like our a competitor, and say, they said that it's beautiful. Conditions are great down there that time of year. Like, yeah, it'll be beautiful. It'll be dead glass. It's going to be flat. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you want to hear. But isn't that amazing, turning away business and how, the, how it's built brand loyalty right through the years and becoming a trusted source? Yeah. Um, I would say every year, maybe 70% of our business is from people who've traveled with us before. An incredible retention rate. Yeah, which is huge. And a lot of people have been traveling with us for year, for 20 years. People have been traveling with us for 20 years. I ran into a guy uh, last year. Where was I? Um, I think I was actually in the Maldives doing an outer outdoor trip and we, we produce a tank top way back in the day, uh, like waterways travel t-shirt and had listed all the destinations on the back and a buddy of mine did it for me and I proofed it and didn't catch it, but he spelt chili wrong. He spelled it like a IE, like the, like the, like the soup on there and the guy still had the sweatshirt he's like i still got the sweatshirt you know chili spelled wrong on your right like yes thank you still coming back to haunt me you should get if you if you hung on to that sweatshirt there's a free waterways travel yeah exactly anywhere you want to go so how how are you now like what do you find to be the most successful marketing tools is it you just said it's 70 percent retention how are you getting new uh uh, customers what's up what you like most people you know we're really going down the social media avenues mm-hmm. and you know blog posts and trying to do 
um, co-op with people on marketing based around content yep. as opposed to banner advertising or magazine advertising. We held in on av magazine advertising up until really last year. It just wasn't p paying off, I don't think. I, I like being in the magazines, and more so than anything, I like all the guys that work at the magazines. Yeah. Kept doing business with them, kept placing ads, and the ads kept getting cheaper and cheaper. But at one point, it's just like, you know, we've got to try to tailor our budget, pay more attention on where we're going to put our ad dollars. And we, we, we got into doing a lot of banner advertising, and we still do some banner advertising, but you know, those aren't paying. People get served so many banners all the time that those weren't really working out as well as we would hope. So we're still doing a combination of banner advertising and social media. And we're finding a lot of our newer clientele are coming from our paid social media that's reaching people who aren't already following us. Right. Yeah, isn't that amazing, right? You can go target this demographic of people hyper-focused on them that have shown interest in going to this destination. Right. And, and I hated the idea. And again, I fell through it because... I had to do it. You just have to do it to stay in business. But I'll use the example. My wife and I were going up to Mammoth. I looked at the Westin up there online. And then everywhere I went, Westin was serving me advertising. Everywhere they were doing that, you know, following me around the internet. You know, we basically had to start doing that. And that kind of stuff pays off. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's a necessary evil. Word of mouth marketing will still be the best marketing there is. Somebody Correct. that's had a great experience and refers you guys, but that's the way to reach new audience and build your audience. So cool. yeah, we're finding out that works really well. And one of the things that really works well, but unfortunately is generally too expensive for us are the kind of the non-endemic publications. You know, if we can get in like a men's journal or something like that, that is a much more, throws a much more broad net you know, because every, if we get an advert, an, an article in Surfer Magazine, not that everybody knows who Waterways is by any means, but a lot of people do, you know, people yeah. who have Surfer Magazine have seen our ad in there in every issue for the past 25 years. So we're kind of reaching the same people where when we reach, reach out to outside magazine or something like that, somebody would be reading that and go, Oh, my grandson is a surfer or, or my so-and-so and they pass it along and it, it gives it some, somehow more legitimacy than being in a, just a general mainstream surf publication. Yeah, it's a third-party endorsement, right? I mean, yeah. It's not familiar with them. Does it, do you get the same thing as the shapers, though? It's like, give me a bro deal. Like, you know, come on, bro. Oh, that's the reason we don't handle the tour. In the very early days, we started getting all the team managers and stuff. Oh, you want to handle our guys? Let's go we're on the tour. And at first, we're like, yeah, totally. And then we realized... They always want a deal for everything, and yeah. they're 10 times as much work as anybody because you deal with the athlete, and they'll tell you one thing, and then you deal with the manager, and they're like, no, no, no. Uh-uh, they do another thing, and then you got to get money from one person, and then the guy will get knocked out of the contest early, and he wants to come home and change his ticket and not come home back to L.A. anymore. Now he wants to go to South Africa instead because he's going to warm up there. You're like, oh. <laughs> so, no, we don't, we don't deal with those people. As much as we love them, I don't want their business. What's his name that's handled their travel for so long? He's the U.S. guy. Um, and uh, everyone, Lasky? Lasky, Matt Lasky. Yeah. Headaches that he's dealt with over the years. Is, he can uh, have it. The big home in Bel Air. Yeah, yeah, he can have it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And Matt Lasky. Yeah, Matt Lasky's done all the surface travel for like the last, since I've moved to the U.S. Changed yeah. for 20 years. Might be a different dude, but the dude named Matt Lasky owns the house next door to me here. Oh, really? Yeah. Might be him. Might be the same guy. Huh, maybe a Westways travel? I don't know. I don't West know if he's West a travel. He just owns the house. He's the landlord over there. 
he called me up. He's like, what's this waterways? He's like, we're Westways. You can't use it. It's too close to our name. You can't use our name. I'm like, Westways? Isn't that the name of the um, AAA travel publication? He's like, well, yeah. I was like, so did you take their name? No, we just have the same name. And then I stopped it. But actually, Matt and I have a pretty good relationship. I like that guy. Yeah, he's a good dude. What about, so who, who are you competing with now? I mean, not to say their names, but do you have some, some like, because we don't necessarily give, need to give oxygen to anybody you don't want to. I'd say our, our, our biggest um, competitors, if you want to call them that, I'd say would be um, World Safaris in Australia. You know, the world's a small enough place that they could go, go you could book through somebody in Australia. But for the most part, for our best product, we have an exclusive on it. So if you want right. to go there, you have to come through us. Um, that's kind of our bread and butter stuff. And these other people just can't sell it. So right. is the competition? Yes. Cause they will be offering something similar, Yeah, you know, to whatever area it might be. But, um, you know, one of the things, and there is definitely competition. There's a lot of competition. I mentioned when I first started, um, I had an inroads on airline tickets and that was really what let us get our, our foot in the door in a big way. Cause we went out and I went out and negotiated airline contracts with Singapore Airlines and Fiji Airways and Garuda and all these other airlines so we could issue tickets for them. So we put the land and air package together. So it made it really easy for somebody because it was no internet to book it with us. Now with everyone able to buy an airline ticket so easily online, it's enabled one resorts to kind of do stuff directly themselves much more easily but it's also allowed somebody who just goes, oh, I'm going to start up a surf operation and I just won't sell air. I'll just sell land product and I'll put something up on the internet. And there are so many of those guys have popped up. Most of them have gone out of business. Um, a really popular model for a while was I'm going to start a website and I'm going to reach out to every surf travel operator around or surf travel resort or camp or whatever it might be and let them post on our site, basically like a little page or an advertisement, and I'll charge them $250 a month. And we're going to get this big reach. So a bunch of people said, oh, like, let's say I have a resort, a Rolla Beach resort. I can pay that guy 200 bucks a month. I get this many views. Okay, I'll do it. It doesn't cost me much. And if this guy can get, you know, 300 properties, you know, advertising 250 bucks a month, he's, he's got no overhead. And that's easy, but there's no service. And the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's just like the yellow pages, you know, it, it, there's nothing behind, there's no substance to it. Right. So a lot of those places have started up and most of them have, have folded. Yeah, because you have a bad experience with one of those and there's nobody to call. Right. right. And with the airline, there's still a situation and we should do more. One area I fall short on, especially on our website, are testimonials. We don't have nearly enough testimonial feedback out there. But for example, when this COVID thing happened, and this happens all the time in different areas, things shut down in Fiji really fast. And there were people struggling to get out of Fiji. And there's people that got trapped for a long time. And I was actually in Fiji. I was on the second to last flight out of Fiji, actually, when it all went down. And my office went crazy. They were working 24 hours a day, rescheduling everybody that we had booked and working with the airline directly and calling them to make sure we got our people protected and got them out of there. And we were able to make all the changes Other, as opposed to people who just booked their ticket on Expedia or whatever it was. They were trying to do it themselves. You know, we got this one guy. Um, 
Uh, I shouldn't say his name anyways, but he was from San Diego. And he was on Tavarua. I was there on island with him for the first time. And he was spending um, a second week. So his return flight was canceled. And we had to get him on a flight basically the day after. He was on the last flight out of there where we were able to change his flight. And he sent us this email saying how he went out, he called our office, let him know the problem, saw that we were on it. He went out and had one of his best surf sessions ever at restaurants and came back and his ticket was changed and it was all fine and he came home. And it was other people freaking out trying to get on the internet, on their phones while they were down there, trying to figure out how to get their flights changed and having to look and having to go to the airport and stand in line at the airport. And That's the point of difference then. The point of difference really is that concierge level service. That yeah. you, that, that it's almost, in, it's, it's endemic to old school like travel agencies where you, you, know, you just didn't have to think about that stuff as the consumer because you weren't booking it yourself. You would call a travel agency and it would almost be like a whole tour was booked for you. So it was like when, you know, whenever I've used your service, it's been the same sort of thing. Like when we did went down to El Salvador and it was just, it was the sickest trip, but there was like crazy stuff happening and still everything was just managed and we didn't even know about it. Yeah. The person who books your trip at Waterways puts their 24 hour contact cell phone number on your documents. When you leave, yep. you've got their number. If something goes wrong in the middle of the night, you can call them up. They can log on remotely from anywhere everyone's networked into our system and we can take care of it luckily it doesn't happen that often maybe eight or ten times a year well, we'll get a call at three o'clock in the morning from somebody who's stuck somewhere something's gone wrong or you know and we're able to take care of it right away what's the uh, craziest in what did you say in 30 years of business since in early 90s you've been in business yeah the craziest experience you've had with a guest god i mean we've had some pretty horrific um injuries for people that we have had to you know, evac out and stuff like that. Um, those are the ones you, you never really want to deal with. Um, God, I wouldn't even know where to start. We've had so many <laughs> crazy things that people get up to. Um, I'd say, and I'm not going to name names because he would be very upset. And when it comes right down to it, I think both of you people know, know who it was. We had somebody book a trip and he's a very high-end guy. And he's like, I don't want to go if it's going to be windy. I don't want to go to this place if it's got, I, I just can't deal with wind. I'm like, well, it's a peak of the season, but it, you know, they get wind, but you're going to be there for 10 days. So you're going to score it. It's going to be good. It's not going to be windy. Is it I'm like, probably not. It's not particularly windy time of year, but it's mother nature. We don't know. So he pays to go on this trip to Indonesia to a very nice place in Indonesia. And he brings, he flies business class and he takes a friend of his with him. He gets there. I'm sitting in my office and the phone rings and somebody answers the phone and says, Hey, Sean, it's so-and-so on the phone. He wants to talk to you. I'm like, I thought he was going to Indonesia. He should be there about now. Is he, has he left yet? What's going on? I pick him up on the phone. He's all, dude, I'm down here. I just got here. I'm like, how long have you been there? He was there three hours. Right? And he had to travel planes, trains, and automobiles to get to this spot. He's been there three hours. It's all freaking windy. I'm looking at the surf forecast. It's going to be windy. I just can't stand it. Get me out of here. I'm like, dude, to get you out of there, we're going to have to get a boat to come pick you up, to bring you back to put on. That in and of itself is going to cost you like three grand plus changing your airline tickets. And you're not going to get a refund on your stay and everything. I don't, why don't you just stay? Stay a while and take a deep breath and relax, dude. Just see how it goes. Just stay at least the night. 
no, I'm fucking over this. This is bullshit, you know, is going on, going off. I'm like, okay, we'll do it. We'll jump through hoops. I jumped through hoops and then he's all, okay, my buddy and I are gonna come home. I'm like, let me talk to your friend. I wanna make sure he wants to come home. So I got him on the phone. He's like, dude, so-and-so says you're gonna come home. Are you guys leaving right now? You just got there. He's like, no way, I'm staying. I'm like, oh, okay. So I get a guy back on the phone. Business class isn't available. We have to do all this stuff, change routing, because he has to travel business class. We get him on a different airline. We get a boat to come get him. <laughs> we get him out of there. That same day, he was, he was on location in Indonesia for three hours and came home. And the next day was epic. Did his buddy stay? What's that? His, his buddy, buddy stayed. And the place started posting on Instagram because they were over the guy. They were like, we want him to leave. Dude, this guy's melting down. He's just, get him out of here. We don't want, want him here. So they started posting on, on Instagram the day after so-and-so left <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> and then to his credit, he wrote me a really nice letter. And I got that. It was way too long and divulged way too much because it was like three pages long, like a manifesto. But he basically said, you guys were so awesome to deal with me and get me home like that exactly as I wanted immediately, even though it was the worst decision I made and I was having a nervous breakdown at the time. You guys were so awesome to have done that for me. He's like, I don't think I would have done that for myself if I was on the other end of that call. The experience I had with you guys is we were with these, this whole team of people. We went to the Manawise. This was in 2010. And we had a total screwball captain that was like with this chick, right? And it was not your fault. It was this captain, like just, so he had his girlfriend on the, on the boat. Instead oh, were of, you on the, on the Freedom 3? Yeah, Freedom 3, yep. So it was, this guy, I don't know his name, and I wouldn't even mention his name. Anyways, Aussie dude. He's got his chick on the boat. A pretty boy freediver? What's that? A pretty boy freediver? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we're with these gnarly Santa Cruz sober dudes who are all like just kicked crystal meth, right? They're like the gnarliest <laughs> no. dudes, right? And so it's me and a couple other really mellow guys. One of my friends gets, one dude gets completely annihilated on the reef, but then it just goes completely flat. Like it goes flat, but we could have got some waves. We found out that later that there was like surf up in like Burgerland, whatever. Right. So we come home, we're all fucking pissed because we find out that we could have been surfing, but like we're down there diving with this, this dude and his chick. And, and so we're all, this guy's captain is completely like, he's the worst captain ever. Doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Yelling at, we're writing these shitty like uh, emails to you and your team and everything. And I'm like trying to help correspond it because you and I are tight and I'm going, okay, I'll just talk to Sean. Maybe we can get something work out. And I'm like, okay, captain's, you know, blame. He's terrible. No, he's doing, he's a horrible, worst captain. You need to get this guy out of the fleet. A week later, or maybe it's two weeks later, there's a tsunami. Okay. They're at macaronis. Yeah. The boat goes into the jungle. One of the boats catch, catches fire. The captain that we're saying is the worst captain in the world is goes drives his boat up into the jungle, rescues all those people and drives out of the jungle. Mr. Can't do shit. And so I'm sitting there just going, I read the story on Surfline. I'm like, it can't be the same guy. There he is. Picture yep. of him, the whole deal. I'm just like, no, it was. Yeah, that, that was an intense time period. Wasn't it? Yeah, we had. Yeah, we had people on both the boats. We had people on the Freedom 3 and on the, it was the Midas. Yeah, Midas is the one, right? Basically blew up. People almost died on the Midas. They got stuck inside of it. 
Yeah, and Captain Pretty Boy saved everybody. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, he jumped, he jumped to attention. I so, for whatever reason, I know he's not listening, but I'd love to hear. I would love him to hear this, this podcast as a coup, that guy. But what a hero. But yeah, that, and to that, you must have dealt with some crazy people that have set up these resorts and these captains and that through the years because it takes an extreme kind of person to discover Pirates. and explore, yeah. It does. It really does. And uh, especially with the boat captains, I mean, that's a really hard gig. And it, things have become more professional over time, but especially in the earlier years, those boat captains were so salty. I mean, and if, imagine picturing yourself, if you were just somebody who enjoyed to have some beers with friends, being on a boat, people were on vacation every day wanting to have beers. God, yeah. how do you stay sane? Yeah. We I had a tough, yeah, I went my first time, I went, I think, 14 to, on the Indies Explorer around uh, the, the Mints, and we had a crazy boat captain too. He just tormented me the whole time. And he would be like <laughs> complaining that we were on the trip surfing and like the, crowd, the lineup was crowded with just us and dropping in. And oh, was, and we, had, we had one, and I'm actually going to mention him by name, Albert Taylor. He was a legendary captain, great guy. But we had a group of high-end guys from, um, from Huntington Beach on the boat. And the surf was small, and they were just ripping Albert apart in the match. Like, why can't you get a surf? Why can't you get a surf? We, we know this place has got surf. We should be going here. I heard from this guy we should be going here. Albert's just, like, losing it with these guys. It gets the last, like, three days of the, of the trip, and the surf picks up, and he starts bombing, and it's super good and really big, and the guys won't paddle out. Albert, Albert just ripped into him and made one of the guys cry. These were like 45-year-old men. And Albert just ripped into him to the point where they came in a day early. So when they got home, they were furious with me and said how they don't care what the experience is. They never deserve to get berated by by. But boat captain like that, the whole thing. And I had to go, oh, I had to say I was sorry over and over and over and over again and make good. I got him a discount on another trip with a different captain and everything. But that kind of stuff happens. I think the lesson the lesson is treat your customer right, right? And then no yeah. matter how crazy it gets, you're, right. you're, you guys have the – it's the bottom line, and, and I think it's all about – I treat everybody as if it was myself. Probably treat them a bit better than you treat yourself, right? Because you're the more of a logical person. <laughs> yeah, I treat, them better than, I treat them as if I would want to be treated, put it that way. Yeah. Right. I have a small group of friends that I socialize with that are, I've been friends with since grade school. You know, we're still a tight group of guys. And I, I think I'm one of the only ones who has had this job for as long as I have had and who still really enjoys what I do. I yeah. really enjoy what I do. I, go, I don't go and I'm going to work. I'm like, oh, I got to go to work. So that's I'm the like, lesson, right? I'm, I'm, I'm like that. the luckiest. I tell people all the time, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Well, but as you made your own luck in, to some degree, and, and yeah. I think, and that's sort of the lesson here is, is to just follow your own sort of authentic vision, you know, something that really, and, and it's not easy to have that. The reason you're successful, the reason that you, there's not many of you is because there was a, there was a vision there. And that's something that's, you know, it, unless you can see that, before you start the business like you've started. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there wasn't anybody before you doing it. Your, as your dad said, surfers are a bunch of bums. They don't have any money. I think we have it on here. This is it. From day one, and this is on our 2020 calendar. From day one, we've relived this. Our mission statement is we take the gamble and guesswork out of your surf travel holiday while at the same time providing the best service and value for your travel dollar. Print it up in everybody's workspace. Yeah. A big piece, right next to their computer. Well, that's what you're doing. 
I don't want to hear you complaining about somebody who's trying to give us business because they're difficult. Yeah, that's right. And because they all are difficult. I mean, at some Some point. people are more difficult than others, but right. you know what? People don't, aren't necessarily trying to be difficult. It's just who they are. Yeah. And to us, so many things seem easy. For anybody who knows how to do something, doing that thing is easy. For us, all my staff have been to Indonesia and Fiji and so, so many times. It's like, you know, second nature going there and going through the trip. For somebody who's never done anything like that, the thought of going to Similu Island is like, whoa, it's so gnarly. They want to make sure all their I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And yeah. we got to appreciate that. Well, Sean, I, I really appreciate your time, man. It, um, it's been really informative and a big congratulations in order for you that you're still doing this and that you have socked away so much money. Yeah, thank um, you. You can hang out for a couple of years and, and it's, I mean, otherwise you, you wouldn't have been able to do that if you weren't so successful. So, Well, I'm going to give myself a shameless plug. Yeah. Uh, I have a, involved with another company okay. called AMA Waterways, AMA Waterways. Okay. And we do river cruising. Oh, and all over the world, mostly on the in Europe, the Rhine, the Rhone, the Danube, the Moselle. We also do Vietnam, Cambodia, but that's the one it more so pays my bills. And you've been able to, you know, starting in surf, you're able to see an opportunity, right? And then go down that. You saw that yes. kind of thing getting bigger and bigger. The river. That's a whole nother big different story. But it was actually my dad who hit my brother and my two sisters and I over the head with an opportunity. And just and you jumped on it, and it's you know, what you say now takes the funds the list, funds the mm-hmm. fun side. Yeah. Incredible, man. Well, thanks so much for your time, Sean. Yeah, great catch up with both of you guys. Um, I'd love to see you guys and catch up with you guys for a beer sometime. It's been way too long. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Say when, even if we go to get masks with the straw through the bottom. (laughs) I think that's uh, the new uh, invention, that you need a mask with a little porthole for a straw and a microphone for a phone. Yeah, I've seen the cigarette at the side. You can dual purpose. You'd have one cigarette hole, one straw hole. And a microphone for the phone. We need to not put this part on the podcast because I think we just need a dollar idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right we'll catch up with you guys. Thanks. Bye, buddy. Later. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.